when we get to the end of Matthew's gospel, this sounds very strange, you're in chapter 13 and you're talking about the end of the gospel. When you get to the end of Matthew's gospel, we read this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Why would we start... a uh, uh, and, a, and a thought on the parable of the sower with the last chapter of, of Matthew's gospel for this reason. This is the direction in which the whole of Matthew's gospel is going. It's as simple as that. The worldwide spread of the gospel, the seed word, the word of God. Throughout the gospel, and, and we need to see this <clears throat> practically in, in all the gospels, certainly the first three. Throughout the gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples for this great task. What is it? How do you do it? And actually, though it seems insignificant at first, what am I to expect when I spread the seed word? So, when you come, therefore, to this part, and this parable in particular, this is the key to all parables. Before you read any of the parables, you actually need to read the parable of the sower because Jesus explains there in uh, Mark's gospel, Jesus actually says to his disciples, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of them? This is the definition of a parable. This is what we are to understand when the parables are being looked at. So we come to this well-known parable. Some of us may be thinking, oh no, not again. You know, I learned that in Sunday school and I have heard it a thousand times uh, down through the years. Or maybe you have heard that Jesus' parables, they're, they're described as uh, earthly stories uh, with heavenly meanings. That's a lot of nonsense. I'm sorry if you've taught that in Sunday school, but it really is. It's, it's not what they are. It's not what they're meant to be. Uh, most people when they heard the parables being preached, when they read the parables, most people don't understand them. So they're not making anything clear. People don't understand them. And that was the problem in chapter 13 at verse 10. And the parables are coming, the disciples are coming to Jesus and saying, what are you doing? Why are you telling people these stories? Not even good stories. Why are you doing this? They don't understand them. And the disciples were having trouble understanding them as well, but it was coming. Why do you speak to the people in parables? If Jesus, he had already told them, he had already come preaching the kingdom, and he had already told his disciples that the kingdom was in the midst of them, right there, him. Him, Jesus was the kingdom. If Jesus was actually going to do the Messiah King thing and set up an amazing new kingdom of God. The disciples were thinking, he's not going about it in a very sensible way. He's not doing it the way we would do it. The disciples could see that. Far from rising to leadership, Jesus was actually collecting rather a lot of enemies. Um, the, the section of parables in Matthew's gospel is... Uh, I don't know what the term is, bookended, as it were. Just before this, the Pharisees are out to get him. By the time you get to the end of the parables in Matthew's gospel, the Pharisees are all fired up even more to get him again. He was not building up 
a great collection of people to set up a new kingdom. And that's why we actually need to look at the middle section of this passage, uh, first of all, verses 10 through to 17, because they're very hard. They're very, very hard. Um, But we need to look at them. And the first thing you'll see up there is the term devastating filters. Now, if you remember nothing else, just remember that title. You know, I have a lot of titles here this morning. I've only gone another 15 minutes to get through them. Uh, so I have, just, just remember that title. That's a definition of a parable. It's a, def, it's a devastating filter. It's not a nice little story for somebody's school. Devastating filters. What does that mean? Why do you speak to the people in parables? The parables are models. They're models of how the kingdom of God grows. Seed in the ground, growth. Seed in the ground, growth. Things happening to prevent the growth growing any further. They are not not simple ways of just telling the gospel. They are devastating tools that sort out who actually are hearing and responding to the words of Jesus and who is actually rejecting the words of Jesus. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus told those stories. People rebelled against him, the Pharisees, the scribes, whoever. And that makes listening to the parables a deadly, serious business. It's not funny. It's not easy. Whoever has ears to hear, says Jesus in verse 9 there. Because our response to God's words will either bring life or it will bring judgment. Only two results, life and judgment. And God's word always brings either or. There's no wall. There is no fence to sit on. Life or judgment. And that's what 13, uh, chapter, or chapter 13, verses 10 through 16, we haven't time to, to, to go into that in, in detail. I'm mentioning it in passing, as it were, because it's important. And it's important for these disciples to understand this. They need to know what's ahead of them in their gospel ministry. They need to know what will happen whenever they speak the good news. This is for disciples. This is not just a random story for everybody. This is gospel ministry training for those who are going to spread the gospel right across Europe. And they need to know that when they speak God's word, parable or not parable, it will have one of two effects. So parables are devastating filters. They sort out who is responding to God, who is responding to Jesus, and who is not responding to him. The second thing uh, we need to look at in this passage is, well, how, how does it do this sorting? Delightfully simple. Delightfully simply. Little simple stories in the second place. In this picture, the farmer is represented by Jesus and the seed that is sown is the gospel, the message about the kingdom. Verse 19, the word of God. In our situation, you all here in in, in Ravenhill this morning, this is what we've been saying to the boys and girls, right? We are the farmers. We are 
the source. If we are the people of Jesus this morning, we are the source. We are, the seed is still the same. It is the Bible. It is God's word. But our responsibility is to share it out. Now, we need to understand from this passage, because we forget this. So easily we forget it. We need to understand from this passage that the confidence of heaven is in the word. The word of God. And nothing else. It's very humbling, isn't it? You may be thinking to yourself, but I have worked myself silly in this church for the last 50 years. Does that mean it's worthless? No, it doesn't. But at the same time, the confidence of heaven, the work of heaven, the work of the kingdom is in the seed word of God. There is nothing else. I'm sorry if that offends. There'll be more offense in a moment or two uh, in the next point. <laughs> so there will. <laughs> but that's it. It's delightfully simple. So simple. And lots of people don't like it. They don't like it. The work of the kingdom, the words of the kingdom, it appears to be the weakest of all things. That's what the parables, particularly these parables about seeds, that's what they're about. And yet, this is filled with God's power. God's power will not be released unless this stuff is used. It's his chosen way. It, it sounds very old-fashioned, you know, we're not talking about strategies here or all sorts of courses or, 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 or whatever. Just, there's none of that in the Bible. It's all good. Not wrong with it. But this is the simplicity of God's plan, the Word. It's His chosen way, and this parable is calculated to make us ask ourselves if this is where we are or how we are. It is somewhat strange when churches uh, uh, have a problem or whatever, and the last thing someone will suggest is to have more of the Word. We will amuse, entertain, facilitate, organize, run a course, do a survey, set up a committee, devise a strategy. I laugh. I'm just being honest with you. And I, I hope there isn't one in this church because I'll be really, offend, really offending somebody. Whenever people say, well, we're devising a strategy for the next five years. How can you devise a strategy for a church for five years? You don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And you can't force them to do it. Or you can't stop them from doing it. But that's the kind of thing we do. Here is the question for us out of point number two. Do we have confidence in the simple seed of the Word of God? It's delightfully simple. Do we believe chapter 13, verse 23, the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was so on? This is the message. This is the only message. That's why we need to study it and know it and obey it and live by it and be unashamed of it and do what we were saying to the, to the guys. Share it. This is about sharing the gospel. So, Jesus is telling his disciples that this is the job for which he has commissioned them. And he's about to explain to them what will happen when they share it. The apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, preach the word in season and out of season. That, that was to be his ministry. That was to be his ministry. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Just scatter the seed. This is very serious stuff. And I hope 
the church at large uh, isn't suffering from a fatal dose of no confidence in the word. Third thing, we are to deliver the offense. Will you be something else offending before we, we got there? A farmer went out to sow the seed. And then we get down to verse 19, the explanation. When anyone hears the message and Jesus goes on to tell you. The gospel is an offense. It is not actually pleasant. It's an offense. A, a mere seed, mere words. But the gospel says we are unable to contribute anything to our salvation. You can't come to church on a Sunday morning proud of yourself. Because we have nothing to be proud about. We haven't. Not a thing. It is, we, we want to be able to work it out. We want to do it our own way. But it is by grace alone that we are saved. It is by God's mercy that we are saved, says Paul. God's way, tiny little seeds of gospel, is an offense to us who think we know it all and who think we have power and we will not have it. And it is to people like us, like you and me, that Jesus is sending his disciples and all disciples for, for centuries after that. And what kind of people will the disciples speak to? Some will be very hard to the gospel on the pathway. The birds, vroom. they will not have it. A woman <clears throat> in, a, in a, a previous congregation used to take great pleasure in saying to some of the elders, you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. We were having a mission for two weeks, and that was her response. I don't know where she is now. How hard is that? How hard is that? It has to be said that the gospel does not remain forever an option for its hearers. If we don't receive it, it may be snatched away by the evil one. And one of his favorite spheres of operation is right here in church gatherings where the word seed is scattered. It's not the only place, but where the word seed is scattered. Likewise, the heat of persecution, and specifically persecution to do with the word, and that is on the increase in our own land. No, it is. That's on the increase. The heat of persecution and then the ordinary cares of life. Very sneaky things. Sneaky things. Things about the house and jobs that have to be done. Uh, they force us into a corner, don't they? To choose word against compromise or comfort. And we decide that we need compromise, comfort an easy life more than the Bible. It is an offense to our needy lives to depend on what it says in a book and to listen to the people who teach it. We need reality. We need practical strategies to get us through life. And the word seed is gone, swallowed up in very human answers to life's problems. And this all sounds like very hard work, doesn't it? But the thing is that Jesus 
Jesus is, is holding nothing back from his disciples. He's actually encouraging them. may not sound like it initially, but he's encouraging them. And he's saying to them in the fourth place, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. People will quickly fall away. People will get choked. That The word of God will choke them. Don't be surprised at the apparent waste of seed and the time and the energy which goes into sowing the seeds. They were to see their hearers as soil, precious soil, in which they sow the seed word. But Jesus is training his disciples. And I have to say, this goes against a lot of practical theology teaching that we, we, we hear today. Uh, Jesus is training his disciples not to expect big, great results, amazing results. How many times do we hear uh, in, in, I don't know, some different kinds of training, you know, do this, this, and this, and you will get another Pentecost in your church. And you don't. Because Jesus trains his disciples not to expect amazing results. Rather, a lot of what they do will be wasted. They will scatter their life-giving seed at every opportunity, but very often it will simply not produce anything, or at the best, the growth will be short-lived. There was a man again in a previous congregation uh, who had real difficulty with all the effort that we were putting into doing outreach, both from the point of view of the time being put into it and the expense. And to be fair, the congregation spared no expense. You just put, got whatever money you needed uh, to facilitate things. And he would ask, where are the bottoms on seats? That's not what I've written down here, but my wife is here. If I use the word I've written down, I'll get told off when I go home. There were very few bottoms on seats. He couldn't understand this parable and what it taught. Bottoms on seats are not the issue. They're not the point. They are not the expectation of, of, of Jesus. They're not the expectation of God. We are not in business. This is where the offense is. We're not in business to increase our congregation. That's not why we're here. God is not interested in it in that sense. His concern is for the kingdom of God. We, on the other hand, become obsessed with what I would call the trellis work of the church. Now, you know, Ravenhill is, is embroiled in the trellis work of the church during a time of vacancy. And you do, you get obsessed by it. There are people who are just obsessed with boards and committees and well, all that stuff. I hated them. I am glad I'm retired. Not that I was ever at them anyway, but, you know, obsessed with the trellis work, the structures. But the structures are man-made. They're not the Bible. Not really. Instead of the vine. That, we're shifting metaphors just for a second. <laughs> Instead of the vine and its fruitfulness. Instead of the, the, the field of sowing seed producing its fruit. Jesus is instructing his first preachers that they were to be faithful to the seed word despite the apparent waste Waste. 
don't go for the easy option. Don't be driven away from the word. Don't change it. Don't depend on yourself. Don't give up on God stroke Jesus. This is the way he has chosen to do it, and that is such hard work expected. And apparent waste is actually a hallmark of the gospel at work. Sounds ironic, doesn't it? There's a great move across churches across the world today to present Jesus as the one who fills some void in their lives. Now, there is a void. It's a God-shaped hole. But that's not the way to look at Jesus. Not the way. Jesus came to rescue us, not to fill a void. He came to rescue us from uh, sin and death and hell. That's a summary of the gospel. And he does it in this apparently stupid way of the seed word. No other way. So don't do away with it because it seems to be a waste of energy. That's the responsibility of elders, Kirk Session. And lastly, you'd be glad to hear this. I hear the machinery starting up again. They've been very good. Just lastly this, I've called it the divine sorting. There is a soil that will receive the word. We'll call it faith soil. If you're like, yeah, put that up on the screen. We'll call it faith soil. And what is faith? Did you ever ask yourself, well, when you, when you look at the parable of the sower, well, where did this soil come from? You know, if it's in the same field as the other soils, what is it, what is it that makes this work and the rest of it doesn't? For by grace are you saved, and it is the gift of God, not of yourself. Very humbling. The faith soil, the good soil, is the gift of God. The disciples won't know who has it. There's just merely the responsibility of sowing the seed. They are able to hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop is the end of the, uh, the story, I suppose. This will more than balance the waste. Jesus says that this is incredible fruitfulness. A potential yield of 10,000% if you do the sums. This is how to have an amazing Christian walk. An amazing Christian church. Make room for the word. To do what the word does. Create new life. Now that leaves us at the very end, we're finished. That leaves us with a question. Do we believe that simply making room for God's word could have this effect in our lives? On the face of it, I know, it seems unlikely. It's a book. It doesn't come across as massively powerful. But remember the seed. It looks weak and unimpressive. But it's packed with growth superpower. That's the potential of God's word in our lives. It is God who gives us faith as a gift, and it is that in that faith soil that we hear the word and become and, and welcome its message and believe and grow and produce a crop. Don't underestimate the divine element 
in spreading the gospel. This is a winning message. God wins. His word wins. It achieves his purpose. Just like the opening scripture from Isaiah at the beginning of the service. It achieves his purpose. And this is what Jesus is explaining. Those whose understanding is opened will become the abundant harvest. We should be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, help us. There's a lot in it. And we need your spirit to make this live to us. And we pray that that is what he will do. Amen.